in my profession as pastor, I am, of course, connected with all kinds of, particularly now over social media, all kinds of discussions that happen on Internet. And always around Advent, we have what we call the Advent Wars. There are those that don't want to pay any attention to Advent at all. They are oftentimes um, conservative, oftentimes reformed. They are what they call expositional preachers. They preach through Bible verses, Bible books, verse by verse. And I'll just say it, come hell or high water, it doesn't matter. We're going to continue preaching through our verses. So it's literally true that this week I uh, saw... uh, listened to and saw the sermon of a Reformed pastor who last week preached on Romans 1, 26 and 27 about homosexuality with the Christmas lights twinkling behind him. Then there are the Advent purists who believe that you should not put up any Christmas tree or turn on any light or sing any Christmas carol until midnight on Christmas Eve. For the rest, up until Christmas Eve, we sit in darkness. So it's always a bit of a struggle to know what to do with Advent. Some of us have trouble recognizing the darkness. We, we don't really want to. Uh, we'd like to keep it away from us. Sometimes that's because we're optimists. Sometimes because it's, we're, we're, we're triumphalists. We're, we're so excited that the victory is coming and the darkness has disappeared. Sometimes we have a we-can-fix-it mentality. Sometimes we're afraid to look at it. And I think sometimes, because most of us are privileged people, it's hard for us to see it. We don't see it. We don't want to see it. And it's pretty easy for us to keep away from it. Others of us stay in the darkness. Sometimes that's a personality thing. Sometimes it's because the tragedies of our lives really are overwhelming. Sometimes we get, this is really weird, we get self-worth, we get attention or affirmation from dwelling in the darkness. Maybe you remember this old quote from Eeyore, the perpetually glum donkey in Winnie the Pooh. Thanks for noticing me, he says. I'm so sad that everybody notices me. So it's hard to get this balance. The balance to which Advent calls us and which we're seeking for is on the one hand, literally to recognize the darkness, to look it in the face. And on the other hand, to recognize the light in the darkness, that God is with us, Emmanuel. The New York Times on December 1, 2022, just, uh, what, 11 days ago, wrote an article about the Ukraine Children's Choir. I'm quoting from that article. When air raid signs sounded in Kiev recently, the Cedric Children's Choir, which was deep in rehearsal for a Christmas program, went into action. More than two dozen young singers carrying sheet music and backpacks rushed from the Palace of Children and Youth their longtime practice space to a nearby bomb shelter. There, using cell phones as flashlights, they resumed their singing, 
filling the cold, cramped space with folk songs and carols until the sirens faded. I was scared, but I was also hopeful, recalled Polina Fedorochenko, a 16-year-old member of the choir. We knew that if we could get through this, we could get through anything. The children of the Shedrick Choir, which will perform at Carnegie Hall on Sunday, that's today, have been hit hard by the war. They have lost friends and relatives in the fighting, watched as Russian bombs have devastated schools, churches, and city streets, grappled with the anxiety and trauma of war. Learning new songs at home was a challenge that provided an escape from the constant ringing of air raid signs. It also gave choir members an outlet for the intense emotions they were experiencing. Oleksandra Lutsak, 20, said that the war had deeply affected her music. Now when she sings, she said, she sees the faces of five friends who died in the war. Sometimes she imagines the experience of a friend captured by Russian soldiers. When rehearsing folk songs, she envisions destroyed homes with no roofs, collapsed walls, everything burned down, and people standing around who have nowhere to spend the winter. These songs remind me of the pain, she said, but they also help me somehow deal with the pain. See that tension there? You've heard me mention Fleming Rutledge here quite often, a favorite of mine. She writes this on Advent. It's really hard for many people to confront darkness and suffering. Many have been conditioned from childhood to, quote, look on the sunny side, so they think that's the only way to be good. Understanding Advent means wrestling with the reality of the darkness that lies near at hand and cannot be wished away. Advent is not a season of darkness. It's a season of light in darkness. And another favorite theologian of mine, Robert Farr Capon. You put the next slide up, thanks. God comes to us in the brokenness of our health, in the shipwreck of our family lives, in the loss of all possible peace of mind, even in the very thick of our sins. God saves us in our disasters, not from them. We're going to read Isaiah 61 this morning. Our theme, as you've already picked up, I hope, is joy. Isaiah 61, we, we, um, we talked about Isaiah two weeks ago. Isaiah 61 was written... Um, the whole book of Isaiah spans a couple hundred, uh, 150 or so years of history, starting from before Israel went into exile from uh, by the Babylonians, then while Israel was in exile uh, in, in, in Babylon, and then what we're going to read today comes as Israel is back in the land, trying to rebuild the land. That's the, the scene in which uh, this these verses are set. So we're just going to read through it piece by piece and just make a few comments on each piece. Isaiah 61, 1 to 2. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those 
who are bound. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Lord has anointed me, and I won't go into this, don't have time this morning. It's not exactly sure who the me is. He has sent me to bring good news to the poor. Think of Israel back in that land. Just back. Having to start from scratch. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Coming back into that land that's been devastated, that city that's been torn down, the temple that isn't there anymore. To proclaim liberty to the captives. Well, we've been captives and we're just, we're just coming out of that. But it's been a long time. And how do you live now as free people when you've been captive for perhaps your whole life? The opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. If there's ever people who need the Lord's favor right now, it's us. They're thinking. The day of vengeance of our God, our enemies. There needs to be justice. To comfort all who mourn. Think of that children's choir that we just read about. In the terror of war. Poor. Perhaps even today in Kiev, not having water or heat or electricity. Broken hearted. My house isn't there anymore. My church isn't there anymore. My family members aren't there anymore. Nothing that we used to have, nothing that we had a year ago is here. We need to be liberated. We're bound up. We need some favor upon us. There needs to be justice. And we mourn. Or think perhaps of yourself in whatever darkness you find yourself today. The brokenness of health. Perhaps shipwreck of family lives. Perhaps the loss of peace of mind. Perhaps in the very thick of our sins, bound up, I can't get out of this. The sorrow and pain with which all of us go through life. And now comes from Isaiah the song we sing, the message we hear in the midst of darkness. God promising restoration, verses 3 through 7. To grant to those who mourn in Zion, that's the last piece of that previous part, to give, they're, they're proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend their flock, tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there will be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their love.
So here's this restoration. A beautiful, and just imagine this for Israel. Imagine this for this children's choir in Kiev. Imagine this for yourself where you need it. A beautiful headdress instead of ashes. Oil of gladness instead of mourning. A garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Building up the ancient ruins, raising up the former devastations, repairing the ruined cities. Strangers will tend your flocks. And in those days, that was a sign of wealth and of of solidity. There, There are other people who are caring for the flocks. You will be priests again. You will stand between God and the people. The nations will stream to you with their wealth. Instead of dishonor and instead of shame, you will have a double portion of honor. See, God, hear this voice of restoration of whatever level of brokenness there is. This promise of restoration. And not only restoration, God promises a new, the biblical word is covenant, which is an agreement. When you hear the word covenant, you should think of what happens between a man and a woman when they get married. This promise to be faithful until death do us part. That's what a covenant is. So we read verses uh, 7 to 9. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion, and they shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. Can you imagine how those words sound and sounded to Israel? Do you imagine how they might sound today to this children's choir? How might they sound for you? I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will promise myself to them forever. Their offspring, Israel's offspring, will be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. Again, this is a Middle Eastern cultural thing that's hard for us to grab on. But one of the things that means that you're you're there, you're seen, you're solid, is that other people know about you. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. Can you imagine coming back after 70 years of captivity in Babylon and wondering if you have a right to exist and hearing the nation say, yes, they are an offspring who God has blessed. Can you imagine being in Kiev, not knowing if you have a right to exist? Well, you have a right to exist, but not knowing if you're going to make it. God says, yes, you have a right to exist. You are my children. You are blessed. You will be blessed by me. What about you where you are today? Perhaps wondering, who am I? Should I be here? 
Who would notice if I wasn't here? Would it make any difference? And God says, you are my offspring that the Lord has blessed. And this results, all of this buildup, all of this light shining in the darkness, not getting rid of the darkness, but in the darkness, results in these words from 10 and 11. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. Again, the darkness isn't gone. Israel's still there in that broken city. The children's choir is still in Kiev. And we're still here where you are today. But my soul, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. And then I found this interesting. It switches for a moment to past tense. Everything up till now has been future tense. Now it switches to past tense. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself, here's this bridal covenant language, a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. God has done this. And of course, we in our time look back and say, in Jesus, God has done this. It's not only future. It's present, it's past, present, and future. God has done this, and therefore, we rejoice in the middle of our darkness. And then here's this wonderful uh, uh, farming image, rural image. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. And you all know this, of course. In order to have something sprout up, you have to plant a seed. And where do you plant that seed? In the darkness. It starts to grow and it starts to sprout. It starts to give fruit or vegetables or whatever it's flowers, whatever it's supposed to give. And who is that fruit? Who are those vegetables? Who are those flowers for? All the nations. The whole purpose, the whole reason why God is doing all this is so that all the nations, and for those of you who are counting the alls, here's another one, all the nations will be able to see God working to change sorrow into joy, mourning into gladness. Step by step, piece by piece, place by place, person by person. And that's why the prophet who wrote this can say, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord my soul shall exalt in my God. We don't pretend there isn't any darkness. But in that darkness, we see the light and we rejoice. And we, we've referred several times this morning to this story of the angels. 
appearing to those shepherds. And the angel said to those shepherds who, as in the King James Version, were sore afraid. Those people in Israel coming back from Babylon must have been sore afraid. And I cannot imagine the sore afraidness of the children's choir and all the other people in Kiev and all around Ukraine. And I know that some of us here or listening are also sore afraid. That's the darkness. Sore afraid. And the angel said to them, fear not. And there's the struggle. How, how, how do I not fear? That's the wrestling. For behold, I bring you what? Good news of great joy. That will be, and if you're counting the alls, here's another one for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Mature Christians and mature adults hold in their hands in this life in which we live in our time both things. We hold the darkness. We look it straight in the eye. And it breaks our hearts. And we mourn and we are sorrowful. And sometimes we don't know what's going to happen. And sometimes we know it's not going to turn good. That person is gone. That sickness will not get healed. That thing, that relationship is destroyed. We look that right in the eye. We don't turn our face from it. Because with the other hand, we hold these words, that there is good news of great joy. Because for us, unto us, is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And that's the source of a joy that can withstand every darkness and can never be taken away. And I don't mean it's never a struggle. But in the end, it can be never taken away. Because unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Amen.